Well, it wouldn't be a good uh, Sunday without a Justin Bieber song, so I thought we'd just start off with that. Welcome, everyone. My name is Mike. If you're watching online, we're so great to have you, and we're glad to have you in person as well, so we just thank you. Um, that song is really cool. I actually really like it. The, the words just really hit me every time because essentially what the singers are saying, saying excuse me, Justin Bieber and Shawn Mendes, is that they have basically got this pattern in their life where they feel like they have to be perfect, where the world has put them on a pedestal, and anytime they mess up, if they, it says, what if I trip, what if I fall, if I sin, like, am I just an absolute monster? They're basically saying that they felt this certain way that either the media or people have put them on this pedestal and they need to be perfect. And they've developed this narrative in their head and that's kind of the lens that they see things through. The thing is, I think we all do that at time where we have different lenses that we see things through and we start to get this picture in our head, that's the narrative. And I have a narrative that has kind of gone through my head for quite some time and uh, it involves losing my wallet. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I have a tendency to lose my wallet often. And it's very, very uh, annoying, really. And yes, it's like, haha, like kind of funny, but it's like, seriously, this is kind of a struggle of mine. And every once in a while, like, I haven't, I don't think I've lost it for like a year. So every once in a while, I'll be like, Megan, I haven't lost my wallet for a year. And she's like, whoa, don't get cocky. Okay, let's, let's calm it down a little bit. And I'm like, all right, all right, I won't get cocky. So I want to tell you two quick stories of places I've been where I lost my wallet. One time I was in Colorado and having just a great time, and we were going out for the weekend. We were going to go to the, uh, we were going to four-wheel in the Rocky Mountains. I thought, this is going to be a terrific time, and I brought some cash, so I didn't necessarily need to, to look for my wallet, you know, and so I, I thought, oh, I, you know, I got it. And Megan, I think even before I went out there, she's like, hey, make sure you have your wallet. Like, you need to make sure every day, wake up, check your wallet, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's, you know, it's all good. Well, the last night comes, and we're getting ready to leave, and it's about 11 o'clock, and I'm packing to go home, and I can't find my wallet anywhere. I'm like, man, where the heck is my wallet? And looking for it, and like, oh, jeez, did I really lose my wallet again? And one of my roommates uh, in college was actually staying in that hotel with me. We had some other buddies in different uh, rooms and stuff, and so I was staying with him, and he knows me, obviously, being my roommate. He's like, dude, you lost your wallet? And I was like, yes, of course I lost my wallet. And so I'm looking, and I'm freaking out, and I'm stressed, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is not good for us. And he's like, what do you mean for us? I have my wallet. You don't have yours. Like, I'm like, I know, but it's just not good for us, okay? Like, please, feel my pain for a little bit. Like, this is, this is something is, oh, I'm freaking out. And so I think, where's my wallet? And I started thinking, okay, where did some places we go? If you've done this, you know, where, where'd I go? And I thought, okay, oh, my goodness. I was at the, when we first got our rent-a-car, the first day, I was at, you know, Enterprise Rent-a-Car or whatever, they'll pick you up you know, which is their slogan. So I'm thinking, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, that's got to be where it's at. So the problem with this situation right now is it's about 11, 11.30 at night, Enterprise Rent-A-Car is closed, and I don't want to tell anybody that this is taking place, like none of my other friends, so only the roommate knows, and so I can't even borrow the Rent-A-Car to even drive down there, and it's closed, it wouldn't matter anyway, so I'm like, okay, i got to figure out something. So I call Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I'm like, hey, like, I know nobody's at this shop, but like, I think I left my wallet. Not usually do you have a lot of success when you want to call somebody after hours to come to a shop and, and all you give them is, I think I left my wallet there. So I'm like, hey, like, I got to have my license because you know, I'm flying home tomorrow. Like, is there any way somebody can come down there? Somebody graciously drove down. One of the employees drove down there. Then I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get there? This thing's like 10 miles away and I don't have a car. So like, what am I going to do? And so I go down to the hotel and I'm like, 
Uh, can I, like, I know you guys have like a shuttle. Is there any chance somebody can take me down to the Enterprise Rent-A-Car to find, to grab my wallet, hoping it works out? And so I did go down there and I grabbed my, it was there. I grabbed my wallet. I was able to fly home and I was like, nobody's going to know the story. Now I've told all of you, so you know the story, but I'm like, nobody's going to know the story because I just don't want to talk about all my insecurities. And then another time I was out in LA and Megan's like, Make sure you have your wallet. And by this point, I'm like, oh, I'm a pro. Like, there's this no big deal. Like, I obviously got my wallet. And uh, that whole week, you know, went on. I had my wallet and come to one of the last days. And I'm looking. I don't have my wallet. And I'm thinking, oh, not this again. This isn't good. And I did something that is incredibly, incredibly humbling. I called Megan and I told her I didn't have my wallet. So if you've ever been, I don't know if you're like, if you've ever made a mistake, you got to call your spouse. It's like, oh, man. And I expected her when I told her, I, I, the first thing I said, hey, Megan, um, yeah? So, like, I lost my wallet, and I figured she would be like, well, you know what, you're such an incredible husband and such a stud that, like, I will totally forgive you, it's not a big deal. She didn't say that, surprisingly. I know that's shocking to some of you. She, she, she might go one of those things, you know, and not to throw you under the bus, honey, but that's exactly what she said. I said, I need you to send me out a new license right now so I can fly home. And so I'm thinking back to all the places I've been, and I swear, we hit up, I thought, it's got to be at a Starbucks. And we hit up every Starbucks in L.A. that you can possibly imagine. I think one day we went like three or four times. So I thought, this is a plethora. Great word, by the way, right? Plethora. I'm like, this is a plethora. There's a plethora of Starbucks this place could be, like th this wallet could be. I have no idea where. She ships me out the, the wallet, and it's like first class mail gets there the next day. She was, Megan was very happy with me and I thought this is just great and she talked to me on the phone the rest of the trip. No, that didn't happen. She, she, she was very frustrated and I understand. And you know, a part of me, so I ended up getting the, the, the spare license, but then I actually found, yes, I keep a spare license at my house because this happens so much. <laughs> and so she sent me out this spare license while I ended up finding my wallet and all was well. So now I have two licenses. So basically that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to overachieve and just show the airplane, you know, the, 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 I just wanted to show them I had two licenses. Not really. This be, has become an issue for me. And while that's kind of like, oh, that's funny, I kid you not, it actually happens a lot where I lose my wallet. And it's actually kind of become a little bit of a narrative for me that I've actually kind of become insecure about. Because what it says is, you're not very responsible, which, yeah, at times I'm not very responsible. You might say, Mike, you're a grown man with three children and a wife, like, and a job. Like, how are you not? I, yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not very responsible at times, and I do lose my wallet. But this insecurity that I've actually began to develop from it is just one of many insecurities that over a period of time when things happen in my life, I kind of see it through that same lens. And I start to think a couple of these questions. The what if I never question, which is what I titled this sermon, because I ask myself that question a lot. What if I never stop becoming the person that's kind of irresponsible, the goofy irresponsible person? What if I never this? What if I never that? And while, like I said, it's kind of funny, it's also kind of an insecurity of mine, because I do lose it, and I, I, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what your insecurity is, but maybe you've painted a picture from things that have happened in your life, and now you're actually at a place or you have an insecurity and you've asked yourself. And so a large question that I want to ask today, which is really the whole point of today, is this. What's a crucial way that I can grow my faith? Like, what's a crucial way that you can grow your faith? Sometimes we grow our faith from things that just happen. Like, it's out of our control. I saw on Facebook one of my buddies, I haven't chatted with him for a while, but 
I saw his dad has been battling cancer, and I saw uh, that he had posted uh, yesterday that his dad lost the battle with cancer and has went to be with Jesus, and I can't imagine the pain that he's facing. And sometimes things in our life just happen. I know people that we, we've had close friends that have lost their children or, or whatever it might be, and things just happen in life, and it's so difficult. It's so hard. It's so tough. And yes, God does use those moments to grow us. There's no doubt about it. Through the grief, through the pain, all sorts of stuff. But sometimes, as we pursue Him, He actually wants us to pursue growth. So I would ask, how do you do that? What's one way that we can pursue growth? I think there's something that takes place in our life when we pursue growth, and it involves pain. Because as we know, growing pains take place. Growth is hard. Not a lot of people wake up in the morning and say, I really want to grow today. No, because it's difficult. And so I want to take you to Ephesians 3.20 this morning. And I want to set the standard of what I believe God can do in your life. Ephesians 3.20, it says this. Paul's writing, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now, I look at that, and I think, okay, Paul, are you going to finish the sentence? Like, are you just saying, like, yeah, you know, is it followed with a question? Like, yeah, I believe that you can do immeasurably more, but, like, only under this circumstance. Because if you were to ask me, I, I totally believe God can do the impossible, but I say that, and I sing that on Sundays, but then on Tuesday when I'm having a rough morning, or on Thursday night when I'm laying in my bed and my mind's racing, it's a little different story. See, I can sit here up on this stage and look good and be like, oh man, I believe God can do anything. But when it comes down to it, at times, I really struggle with actually believing this. So Paul's writing this and I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, so who's able to do it? What's he going to say next? He says this. He says in 21, he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what amen means? Amen in Hebrew means certainty, truth, and verily, which is another word for certainty. See, he finishes that with absolute, absolute certainty. He doesn't say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or when we're going through some, something kind of difficult, but when we're going through something, he finishes it with, to him be the glory, amen. I believe, Paul's saying, I believe that God can do more than we ever thought possible. Do you know what the smallest seed on the planet is? The smallest seed on the planet is the mustard seed. And as we know, the scriptures talk about that. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, Truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I am so challenged by this, because if I was, if I was to sit here and, and act like I always have that mustard seed, faith, I'd be lying because I don't. But you know the crazy thing is the mustard seed is the smallest seed on the planet. And when I don't have a mustard seed faith, you know what I have? I got nothing. Some people I think have looked at this and been like, well, you know, yeah, I don't always have a mustard seed. Like I know it says you can move mountains, but like I kind of got a little bit. Mustard seed is the smallest seed. That scripture is saying if you don't even have a mustard seed of faith, you have nothing. Like we can, again, we can sit here and say, like, I believe this, I believe this, but God is actually challenging because he knows how difficult. That's why he didn't say, hey, if you can just get a boulder of faith, I'll move a mountain. He knows how hard it is to have faith. So he picks the smallest seed 
on the planet to say, man, if you even give me a little bit, the smallest seed on the planet, I will move a mountain. I will move a mountain. In fact, you can. Because of the power that I'm giving you, you can move. But it's so difficult, right? And again, we sing these worship songs, but when, it, when push comes to shove and we think about it and we say, oh my goodness, I need a mustard seed to move this. I don't even know if I have a mustard seed. It's one of the most tough, tough things. And when you ask the question, what if I never, these are some of the things that I think we would ask. What if I never break free of this? The church has heard of footholds their whole life. You know what a foothold is? Can I tell you what a foothold is? I think sometimes when we talk about footholds, it's like, oh, something I'm kind of struggling with. You know what a foothold is? A foothold is literally when you want to do something, you have the desire to do something, and you cannot do it. Like when you have the desire to break free from something, and you've exhausted every possibility, and you cannot do it, like you, you tell yourself, well, I'll keep getting better, I'll keep getting better, and over a period of time, you're like, whoa, I look back, I can't, I can't break this. That's a foothold. The what if I never question is an incredibly discouraging question because where there's no hope, there's no faith and where there's no faith, there's no hope. And you might ask yourself, what if I never break free of this? What if I never take the risk? Like I'm too scared to take the risk. What if this never works out? What if this never changes? What if I never know? What if I never see the result? You start asking yourself, what if I never, what if I never, what if I never? And the enemy can certainly make you focus on one part in that question, and it's the never part. But this is exactly what I believe God does. Impossible, non-viable, unfeasible, unworkable, hopeless. Yes, I put unworkable in there twice on accident. Out of the question, situations are the platform that God does his best work. I kid you not. I know that we see this and we hear this and we might, we might believe it, but I'm telling you, when you ask yourself, what if I never, it's one of the scariest questions in your life. Can you imagine being the same as you are today the rest of your life? Maybe some of you are like, oh, I like myself enough. I don't really care. God is trying to grow you to a, a new person, into a new person, the renewing of your mind that the scriptures talk about. He wants to actually transform you and make you become the person that he's called you to be. He desires that. And while when something happens in your life, a curveball or something takes place, yes, we have an opportunity to grow. But the pursuit of Jesus actually means that we almost have to manufacture an opportunity so God works in us. Why? Because when we manufacture an opportunity, that's, actu that's actually us opening our heart and saying, God, I want you to do something. You know a question I've never said? I've never asked myself this question. What if I never become a circus clown? You want to know why? Because I don't care about being a circus clown. That doesn't make any difference to me. Sometimes we ask the easy questions. Well, God, what if I never become a circus clown? Oh, that'll do it. No, you know what I ask, God? What if I never break free of this anxiety? Like, I ask the hard stuff. I have no desire to be a circus clown. People call me that anyways. No, they don't call me that. But I have no desire to be a circus clown. I have a desire to break free of my anxiety. I was visiting with a friend one time, and he asked me a question directly. And I would be almost embarrassed to share this, but I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to ever. When my day is done, I don't want to ever look. Well, I guess my day would be done. I don't want to look back when I'm close to the end and say, "Man, I didn't leave everything on the table." So, 
he asked me a direct question. He said, do you believe that God can deliver you? Because I was talking about my thorn one time. If you read in the scriptures, Paul's talking about his thorn. And we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn was, but it was an opportunity to kind of keep him humble. Some people say it was his eyesight. His eyesight was really bad. And what a thorn basically means, obviously, is like a thorn in your side, something you're dealing with. And I have a thorn that's been in my side for 32 years now. And God uh, has told me time and time again, Mike, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm working. And a lot of times I've just kind of over time developed this idea that this is just what I have to live with. And we read the scripture and we actually see what Paul says and we basically come to the conclusion that I have to live with my thorn the rest of my life. So I was with one of my friends. I, went up to, I drove up to Kentucky to spend some time with him before he moved to South Carolina. And he looked right at me and said, do you believe God can deliver you? And I said, do you want the honest answer or do you want the pastor answer? And he said, of course I want the honest answer. I said, no. It's embarrassing. I said, no. Like, I'm teaching on this stuff, and I said, no. And he said, so you genuinely don't believe God can deliver you? And I said, I believe that he can deliver me in a lot of areas, but the, some of the things, the deep core stuff, some of the anxiety-filled stuff, some of the stuff that I've wrestled with for my whole life and been a day-to-day -day battle, no, I don't think so. Because I'm not one of those people that thinks you can just smack somebody with a Bible and it's gone. So, no, Lamoris, I don't believe that, you, that I can be delivered. And he's like, did you know that God is 100% out to deliver you? And so I've been thinking about this and I've been processing this. And can I tell you that God is 100% out to deliver you? The what if I never questions, they're not even big enough for him. I want you to know this today. I want to look each one of you guys in the eye from what I can see and tell you that God is out to deliver you. He came down and died on the cross to set us free. Not some of the easy stuff, but some of the hardest stuff that you will ever face. He came to deliver you. It doesn't mean that we, don't, we stop and go in to get help. It doesn't mean when like, I'm struggling, I don't go see a counselor because I'm like, oh, he's got this. Like, I'm taking steps, no doubt. It doesn't mean when if Meg and I are struggling, we don't go to a counselor. You take steps to work because that's just what you do, and that's what he's called us to. But can I tell you that he is out to deliver you? And you know, here's the thing with deliverance. Each one of us have our wilderness. When Jesus was out in the wilderness... One of the things he did, Satan's trying to tempt him, and we all have a wilderness. We're all in the wilderness at times, and we all have somebody trying to tempt us. The enemy is trying to tempt us. He's out to kill, destroy, and steal from us. And Jesus is out in the wilderness, and he does something very interesting. The enemy quotes scripture at him. And a lot of times when I'm feeling attacked, what I do, and there's nothing wrong with this, but what I do is I'll be like, God, I'm feeling attacked right now. I really, I just need your Holy Spirit to come in. And yes, th that is great. But you know what Jesus actually did? And I think we miss this. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being attacked by the enemy, he spoke the word. If you read in that part of scripture, Jesus doesn't say, God, I really need help right now, the enemy. He speaks the word. Are you using the scriptures as a tool to be delivered? When you ask yourself the what if I never question, are you just praying about it? Or are you actually using the scriptures as a sword? Because in that moment, Jesus literally speaks the word. The Bible says that Jesus spoke the word to the enemy. You know what word I've been speaking lately? When I'm feeling tempted or when I'm feeling uh, overwhelmed or when I feel the anxiety set in or the worry, I've been saying this, Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And you know why I say that? Because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I look straight at the enemy. I say, 
Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I have experienced, amen, I've experienced deliverance in ways I never thought possible, not because I'm just getting on my knees. That's, that's great, too, to get on your knees and pray for the Holy Spirit to come in you. I'm literally using the word as a tool. When I feel rejected, when I feel insecure, when I've got this narrative that comes over me, I say, Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Why? Because I want to use the word as a tool because Jesus did the same thing when he was in the wilderness. And if it's good enough for him, it's absolutely good enough for me. Yes, I still use the word and I still pray and all that stuff, but I specifically make sure that I quote scripture because I'm not going to let the enemy twist any words. He's getting the scripture. He is out to deliver you in whatever you're facing. I don't care if you're facing anxiety, depression, broken relationships, broken marriage. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. He's liter- he is out to deliver you. I, if you had asked me a couple months ago before that visit, I would have really struggled to say yes because it's like, God, there's just some areas I know you can't touch. Like, I know it's just my thorn. And my buddy told me that's one of the most misused contexts in the entire Bible. While it's, yes, we have thorns, God allows us to have thorns so that he can grow us. But you know what the end of growth is? It's deliverance because he wants to deliver you. I cannot stress that enough. He wants to deliver you from whatever you're facing. And he also wants to do that because he wants you to become the person that God wants you to be. I want to tell you a story about one of the most famous people in Scripture. In John 21, 15 to 17, you can read it up on the screen. It says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus Jesus says, I want you to feed my lambs. We go on in 16. Jesus again, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, I want you to take care of my sheep. We go on to 17. It says the third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's got to be thinking, oh my goodness, I just said yes twice. Like, how many people ask me the same question? My kids, dad, are you watching? Yes, son, I'm watching. Dad, are you watching? Yes, son, if I stare at you anymore, my eyeballs are going to pop out. Absolutely, I'm watching you. Do your flip and let's call it a day. I say it a little nicer than that. No, actually, I don't. I should say it a little nicer than that. Have you ever been asked the same question over and over? It's like, dude, we get it. Jesus is like, hey, man, do you love me? Like, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's now hurt. Like, the scripture says Peter is now hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He says, do you love me? Peter once again, Lord, you know all things. I can imagine that Peter's a little frustrated now, like his boys even. Lord, you know all things. Like, yes, you know that I love you. Isn't it really interesting that in this moment God is testing Peter's faith? Because God knows, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that Peter's going to betray him. Peter's not just one of those guys that just walked with him. He was a, he was a close friend. But we read in the scriptures the amount of insecurities that Peter had, the amount of mess-ups that he had. I think every one of us at some point identifies with Peter because he was the guy that just constantly got it wrong, it feels like. And Jesus has given him another opportunity. He's like, hey, man, do you love me? Yes. What does he say? I want you to feed my sheep, which we'll come back to. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. He's trying to tell Peter, like, hey, I need you to step up and become the person that I want you to become. 
So I need you to answer this question, but not only do I need you to say yes, there will be a time that this, this what you said yes, you're going to have to put it into practice. And what happens? A 13-year-old girl, after Jesus is arrested, approaches Peter. Hey, you know Jesus. No, I, what? No, 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 no. Another person comes to him. Yeah, you know Jesus. Whoa, no, not, not me. I'm not. A, hey, another person. You know Jesus. No, nope. Peter fails the test. See, he could have put his yes into motion by saying, yep, I do know Jesus. You know why he was afraid? Because they would have killed him. And when you see the person that you're close friends with getting spit on and hacked and put up on, I wouldn't want to say yes either. In that moment, he had a chance to prove his devotion for Jesus and become the person that God wanted him to be, but he failed. He failed the test. I think in that moment, unfortunately, I identify with all too much. Sometimes God calls us to things and he challenges us to things and we ask the question, what if I never? And he's actually testing us because he wants to say, you know what, I know that you don't think you can ever do this, but actually if you would, if you would trust me with even the small mustard seed, I'd show you I can do anything. I think he was trying to show Peter that, hey Peter, I actually want you to be the leader, but you're so focused on your insecurities and your fear that you're going to fail this test. There's a girl that um, maybe some of you have heard of her, maybe not, but her name is Carly Cottingham, and uh, she, her junior year, I believe, of high school, she was a really good basketball player, looking forward to playing basketball, um, you know, in college, and that was her dream, and um, yep, that's Carly back there, obviously, and uh, she was just really excited about this and started feeling some pain and some discoloration, all sorts of things in her arm that was taking place. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They thought maybe like, you know, I, just maybe a plethora of different things. And they thought, we're going to try and figure this out. Um, and I'm sure in those moments that she was really afraid um, of what was going to take place. Uh, they did 15 surgeries to try and figure it out and realized that uh, she had blood clots and she actually had a thing called thoracic outlet syndrome. And on August 26, 2009, they amputated her right arm. And she actually played basketball her senior year. This was featured on ESPN. Uh, she was on ESPN, the magazine. Um, she, she won the Hero of the Year Award. The Detroit Pistons awarded that for her. Now she spends a lot of time with, you'll see, Bethany Hamilton, who many of you probably know, who is a... Uh, was the girl who was a surfer. There's a movie on her and stuff. She was a surfer and got attacked by a shark and lost her limb. And this week I was talking, actually I talked to Carly, and I told her, I said, what is, what's one of the things if you had to, like if I, if I could tell Waypoint one thing, what would it be? And I thought it was so cool what she said. She said, wow, that's, ooh, that's a tough question. And she said, there's purpose in your pain and that God can and will use your brokenness and turn it into something beautiful. I love Carly's story because you don't think she had what if I never moments? In fact, Carly said she was going to be watching today, so Carly, we're extremely grateful for your story. Um, she had those moments, I'm sure. What if I never play basketball again? What if I never lead a normal life? What if I never do this? What if I never do that? And she could have laid down and just gave up. But instead, she said, I'm not going to do this. 
In fact, I'm going to look at my what if I never, and in fact, the question of what if I never play basketball again, I'm playing my senior year. What if, what if this never makes sense to me? I'm going to use my story. And now she, her and Bethany Hamilton and other ladies are now going around the country, around the globe to share their story and saying, you don't have to lay down when something unexpected happens. God can use anything. And God is using her story in miraculous ways. People are getting the hope of Jesus simply because she didn't lay down. She looked in the mirror and said, what if I never? And she asked God that question, what if I never? And God, in those moments, began to grow her into the person that she was actually meant to be. It's incredible. Like, she's doing more for God than who knows. Maybe she would have ever done with both arms. But Carly is an absolute warrior. She's somebody who decided, I am going to go for it. I am not going to sit here and let the what if I never and focus on the never. I'm going to let God use me in extraordinary ways. I find that to be one of the coolest things. Because this is what the what if I never question can do. The what if I never question, it can break any foothold you have. What if I never break this? What if I never get over this? God's like, perfect. Let's get to work. It can break fear. I don't want to take that jump, God, I'm afraid. He's like, let's take it. Moses couldn't even talk, and I sent him to talk to Pharaoh. Let's get, in, let's get to this. It can bring redemption. God, I have a broken relationship. This is never going to work. Too much has happened. Too much is a mess. What if I never? And God's like, you know what? With a little bit of work, a little bit of mercy, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of understanding, I can bring redemption. I've seen it in my own life. God's like, I can bring deliverance. You're struggling with that? You don't think there's any purpose for you? You don't think there's any hope for you? I'll bring you deliverance. In fact, I'll bring you so much deliverance that you're going to actually tell your story and how broken you were, that you were once dead in your sin, you were once dead in your struggle, and I actually delivered you. And it was me and me alone that could do that. And he can bestow incredible blessings. Now, I want to get back to something with Peter, and I want to finish out that story, because I want you to see who Peter becomes. I get chills with this story, and I hope you will as well, because I think it's that powerful. There's an individual who needs to be healed, and Peter goes and he heals this individual in the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden something happens. There's these rulers and these elders that are trying to get rid of Christians across the board, wipe them out, and if they hear anybody's doing anything in the name of Jesus, they're going to wipe these people out. Any followers left after Jesus has been crucified, they're going to wipe these people out. And it says the next day, after, this is, uh, after they're heard that Peter and John had, had healed someone, it says the next day, this is not up on the screen, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is some of the individuals that are a part of this meeting. It says, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. I want you to note, notice these names. These are the exact people that arrested Jesus. These are the exact same men that took Jesus to Pilate because Pilate had ultimate authority and these individuals are like, I'm going to take the same, the, the guy that is close to Jesus and at this point, they don't know what he's going to say. We're going to take him. But instead of taking him to Pilate, see with Jesus, it was such a big deal. They were like, well, we don't really have the authority to like crucify this dude. We got to take him to Pilate, which obviously he lets the people decide. These guys are like, ah, this time we don't, let's not waste our time with Pilate. He's probably got things going on. 
let's just, let's just do this ourselves. So they arrest Peter. They ask him a question. This is his test right here. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, can you imagine Peter, who betrayed Jesus three times, has messed up, is a failure, didn't pass his test, can you imagine those couple days when Jesus, before he had resurrected, how guilty Peter would have felt? He'd been like, man, I had a chance and I blew it. He asked me if I love him. I had a chance to prove that and I blew it. And I've said this before, and I believe Blair has said this, that in Israel, a meal means peace. So when we were in Israel, there was a picture on the front paper of two leaders having a meal together. That means peace. What did Jesus do when he resurrects? And he comes, he comes on the beach, and you hear in the scriptures it says that Peter and Jesus had a meal together. And at that point, Jesus puts Peter in charge. He's like, hey, I know you didn't pass the test. I'm, I know you messed up. Like, you failed. I probably should just kick you to the curb. But actually, by the way, I want you to lead this group. He, Wait, what? I, I had a chance. You asked me to, to step my game up, and I didn't. I, I betrayed you. you. You said, do you love me? And I, I told you yes, and I, I don't care. You've asked some questions. You've probably asked the what if I never question. What if I never get over my fears? What if I never get over my anxiety? Maybe you've wrestled with what you did over this period of time. Maybe Jesus doesn't even need to say that because Peter just, he would have been thinking about that stuff. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question. They say this, by what power, what name did you do this? I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, boldly. This is in quotes. Rulers and elders of the people. He wants them to know. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. When they asked him, they're going to kill him. If he says Jesus, they're going to kill him. So he could have just been like, they're like, what, what name do you, are you doing these healings? Oh, it's not, it's not Jesus, is it? Oh, yeah, that Jesus guy, that was just a phase. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not into him anymore. It's, it's totally fine. He could have even went like this. Oh, yeah, Jesus. They're like, who? Can you say, speak up a little bit? Yeah, the Jesus guy, it's fine. He could have, look what he says. Then know this. He looks right in their eyes. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and I love this part. He takes it even a step further whom you crucified. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. It is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. My goodness. I don't know if I would have had the you-know-whats to say that. But I know that in that moment, Peter became the man that God had always called him to be. It's because he looked at his insecurities and looked at his fear and thought, I can never get past this. If you look at the scriptures time and time again, the history of Peter, he never is bold. He doesn't have any boldness. The only boldness he has is like out of stupidity sometimes, stepping out of the boat and stuff. Half the time, the boldness as he has is from his own, you know, insecurities of anger, whatever it might be, of fear. He did not have to, he could have just even said Jesus and let it alone. 
Stinking looks them in the face and says, Jesus of Nazareth, the one you, whom you crucified. And we later know that Peter is crucified upside down because he doesn't even feel worthy enough to be killed the same way Jesus is. This guy fulfilled his calling. This guy became the person God wanted him to be because he took on the impossible challenge. He said, forget my fear. God's going to give me bold. Forget my words. God's going to give me what to say. Forget my insecurities. God's going to give me his Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God wants to deliver you. He wants you to become the person you want to be. You are a barrier breaker because you serve the ultimate barrier breaker. I cannot stress this idea of deliverance enough, but it starts with you putting yourself in a place where God can take the impossible situation and say, I'm going to show you something. What did I say earlier? That I've never once prayed, God, will you help me be a circus? I don't care about that. Or what if I never become, uh, you know, on, what if I never get on the Olympic USC? I, I don't care about that stuff. I look at God and I'm like, what if I never, like, what if I never sleep good the rest of my life because half the time I'm waking up worried about something? Like, what about that, God? What about my anxiety that sometimes it takes over and I just feel a lot of fear? What about that? Like, what about that, God? What if I'm so in a mess in my relationship? What if I'm so in a mess in my job? What if I'm so in a mess in my personal life? Like, what if I never do this, God? What if you've called me to something and I don't, I'm not good enough, but you've actually called me? Are you kidding me? How, why would you even call me to that? I can't do that. And when you start to say that, what you're actually saying, I really believe it because I've done it and I just believe it. I think that when we start saying, what if I never, what we're really saying God is, uh, to God is, God, you can't ever. I believe that we say that to God a lot. I don't think we would admit it on a Sunday morning. I think when we're singing that he can move mountains, what happens when he's trying to restore a relationship? What happens when he's trying to break you free from anxiety? What happens when he's trying to break you free from depression? What happens when he's trying to call you to something you never thought you could do? That's when push comes to shove. I believe every single person in this room this morning as I call the band up to close, I believe every person in this room today God wants to deliver you from whatever you're dealing with. I know you're probably sitting there being like, oh, Mike, you're crazy. I'm not. I'm not. I don't care what you're walking through this morning. I really don't. What I know is I'm a walking testament of God delivering me in areas I never thought possible. What I know that there's people in this crowd, and I can, I can see them right now. Lynn, not to point you out, but one of them, somebody who God absolutely delivered and she became a cycle breaker in her own generation stuff and said, God, what if I never do this? And she broke that cycle, and now she is reaping the benefits of what God is doing in her life. There is people that you know that were completely transformed. See, God, people aren't going to know Jesus exists by us arguing our political views. People aren't going to know Jesus exists by when things are peaches and cream and we're all happy. People are going to know Jesus exists. Because I, Can I tell you something? He already came Nobody else is coming. No one else is coming. Jesus already came. So if we're waiting on him to be able to show the world that here I am, he already came. Nobody else is coming. So the, the rest of the days that we have till he comes back is literally us, the church, trying to show people that Jesus is still 
He's absolutely more relevant than ever. I know right now it's like, oh, it's this post-Christian crap. Forget that crap, seriously. He's alive and well, and people are going to know that he exists by the way that he delivers us in situations that we never thought possible. Whatever you're going through right now, you should look at it as an opportunity to say, man, I could display Jesus right now. Like, I once had this, and I was so dead and Jesus delivered me. I was once in a broken marriage and there was no chance of fixing it. Look at us now. Why? Because God is capable. I get that we have to put in the work, but you know what? God is more than capable. Jesus wants to deliver us. He wants our hearts, really. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer this morning is that you would just know you're going to grow when things happen in life. Some of you are going to experience tough stuff. We all do. I'm not waiting around for something bad to happen in my life for God to grow me. I'm going to put myself before him, place myself before him to say, God, you know what? One of the questions I keep finding myself in this situation is asking is, what if I never? So I'm going to bring that to you. And he says, let's get to work. It might be 10 years. It might be five years. It might be one year. We don't know the how and the when, and that's the problem. Because I want to know. We don't know the how and the when. We just know that he wants to deliver us. This morning, I hope that's something you start believing if you didn't before, but I hope the Holy Spirit really challenges you this morning, knowing that whatever you're facing, tackle it with this idea that God can do the impossible. As Paul said, amen. That means truth. Why do we close prayer with amen? Because I'm saying, God, I believe this. I'm certain of this. I'm not wishy-washy like, amen, amen. If you'd bow your heads with me and pray, I'd love that this morning. God, we come before you today, and Lord, I'm sweaty, honestly. I'm just sweaty talking about this. And part of it is just because I, like, I've seen you do things in my life. I'm still walking through stuff. There's no doubt about it. This isn't just a one, one pop, stop, shop type of deal. Like, this is a lifelong deliverance, growth. I always say I want to be a little closer to you every day, a little, you know, inching a little bit closer to you. And some days it doesn't feel like I'm inching anywhere. Sometimes it feels like I'm going backwards. Sometimes it feels like I'm Peter and just failing the test, but I know that ultimately, God, the reason I'm even being tested in the first place is so that you'll grow my faith enough that when that moment comes where I say, I'd never do that, I can never do that, I will step up and I'll boldly look at somebody in the face like Peter did and I'll say, man, Jesus, whom you crucified. I'm going to be able to have that heart, that mindset of boldness, just saying, God, you did this. You delivered me. This was you. This was not me. This was completely your deliverance, Jesus. Man, I feel like I could talk about this up here for hours, God, because I just, I know so many stories of people that were delivered from different things. I know so many relationships that were absolutely in trouble and God totally redeemed. I know people that were just going down a path of destruction that are now passionately following you. I know people that were so anxiety-ridden that they couldn't even get out of bed that are now doing incredible things. I know people that could have laid down, like Carly, that has something that took place in her life that she didn't expect, that could have laid down, that are now out and about as motivational speakers I know people that were once dead in their sins that are now alive in Jesus. Lord, I just ask this morning, that's what we would believe. We didn't come here to waste our time. We didn't come here to waste your time, God. We came here to praise you, to serve you, to know you, 
to admit, God, that you are capable and able. And I don't know the how and the when, but what I do know, God, is that you're out to deliver. You're out to make a difference in our lives so that we will develop into the people that we want to be. I ask the question as these people go out, I ask the question today that may they ponder with all day long and all week long is the what if I never situations that they need to tackle. I ask your Holy Spirit would reveal those. Not these little simple ones like what if I never get to this or what if I don't get the laundry done today? I'm talking big questions. Like, what if this never works? What if we're done? What if I can't do this? What if I never take this jump? That's the questions I ask that each individual would ask today. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you transform us into the people that you want us to be. I love all these people, God. I'm so grateful that they took time to come here from you today. And come here from a broken individual like myself who doesn't really, doesn't know a whole lot, but knows that, God, that you can do anything for anyone through anyone. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.